Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. It's so easy to be discouraged. And when we look at what's going on today, we can't even imagine sometimes a way forward. These are the times that it is critical for us to maintain our focus. Critical for us to hang on tenaciously to our faith. Critical to live with hope. Because God is not finished yet. For us, it's midterm exam time. And that's what I've called the book of James. The book of James is our midterm exam. It helps us to kind of take a hard look at where we are. Now, remember the difference between a midterm and a final? There's nothing after the final. It's all she wrote. But we're in the midterms. And James is really pushing us hard. One of the more practical books in the Bible, considered to be a part of the wisdom literature of Scripture, to engage us and keep our feet on the ground, that we are both hearers of the Word and doers of the Word, that we are listening attentively to the voice of the Holy Spirit, And then taking the commands of Jesus and applying them in our lives. The very fact that there are good people in the world, and we can argue, are there more good people in the world than bad people? And uh, his his name will come to me in a minute. Uh, The guy who said the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. This is not the time for us to do nothing. This is the time for us to engage in our faith in meaningful ways because the world is a mess. There are three... Everybody agrees that the world is broken. Anybody here not think the world is broken? I didn't think so. Where we disagree is on the solution. And there are three major worldviews that are converging and in conflict today. The secular worldview, the Islamic worldview, and the Christian worldview. Now, two out of three, I would argue, are driven by wisdom that is from below. We, hopefully, are inspired and being driven by the wisdom that is from above. But as we see in James' letter, even the church is divided. Midterm exams. How well are we learning the lessons? 
Remember that, uh, that, that James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, is thoroughly Jewish in his out, outlook, uh, but focused in understanding that Jesus, his half-brother, is in fact the Messiah. He is the hope of the world. And I want to tell you right now, and I believe this with every fiber of my being, that Jesus is the only hope for the world. And Jesus is the solution. We just got to remember that. We got to figure out what that means in our lives and how we move forward. He's operating from within a Jewish moral framework. Call it the Ten Commandments if you want. But through Jesus, we learn that you take that moral framework and you punctuate it with grace. We talked about last week wrestling with motives. And I asked you to take a deep dive because the only person who knows what your motives are are you. And even at that, at best, you only partially know what they are. To take that deep dive to see if there's any bitterness, any selfish ambition. What is it that, what is it that drives you to get up and to move forward each day? And then ask yourself, if you're, being, if you're being deceived by the wisdom of the world to the detriment of the wisdom that comes from above. It's a deep dive that each of us need to take personally. But we need to wrestle with it communally. The division in the church existed in the first century. Listen to what, if you have your Bibles, open them. I'm sorry. Open them to James chapter 4. Some of you already did. Good. And we're into, into this fourth chapter, and, and, and James has just, he's talked about the tongue. He's talked about the importance of teachers. And, and uh, as I talked about uh, the importance of teachers, I also talked about the importance of the learners. You have a responsibility as well to make sure that what I'm teaching you is ground in Scripture. But even at that, knowing that, that teachers are held to a higher standard, knowing that you are responsible for what you hear, knowing that there are two wisdoms that are at work, wisdom that comes from above and wisdom that comes from below, there is still dissent and division in the church. And that's what James is asking in the opening of this fourth chapter. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives more grace. That is why Scripture says God 
opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Wow. Those are hard words to hear. James, you're, 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 uh, this, this, is, this, this stuff kind of smarts. Fights, quarrels. This is the first century. You know, we have this romantic view of the church as we, as we look back down on the ages and, and we think, oh, you know, the church, the, the, the church used to be so much better off and the greatest, and, and, and my, my, my good friend, uh, Father Mike Murphy, uh, down at the Catholic Church, reminded me one time that our greatest scandal today is our disunity. But that's not just today. You're hearing, this is, these are comments that are read to the church. There was division way back then. And it never stopped. I mean, you don't have to move uh, too forward, uh, too, 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 too far into the, into the future from this point right here. And, and, we, and we encountered the first major schism of the church in, what is it, 4, 4, 450, 451? We said, well, what happened in 451? In 451, the church looked at the, at the church in Egypt and said, you're not like us, and so you no longer are a part of us. And with words of wisdom that came from below, the Egyptian Coptic church was excommunicated. And you know why? You know why they excommunicated him? Because the Egyptian Christians believed that Jesus had so much God in him that it, it obscured the humanity. Really? Jesus has too much God in him? Now, we all agree that Jesus is fully God and fully human. On that technicality, they said, nope, you're out. And then you move forward to, uh, to the year 1054 and another big split between the East and the West. And what was the issue? The West said, we want to be in charge of everybody. Really? Can you point that out for me in Scripture? Divided the church, East and West. There were some other issues as well. I, I, I get it. Not many of them grounded in Scripture. And, of course, we advance to 1517, and another schism happens. The Great Reformation, which, by the way, was not a singular reformation. It was plural, and it's ongoing today. There was not one reformation. There were many reformations. And Martin Luther, that's the last thing that he wanted for another split within the church. He was a dedicated churchman. He wanted to see the church clean its own house, and it refused. Quarrels, fighting. Why? Because I want my way. I want what I want when I want it. And don't you stand in my way. Oh, how little things change. 
and the Reformation was, was, was raging, and, and, and you, had, you had Christians killing Christians. It's, it was awful. And when you, when, you, when, you, when you read about the Hundred Year War, it's like, oh my gosh, Martin Luther was convinced that Jesus' return was imminent because it just couldn't possibly get any worse than it was. Division. So he sits down with a guy named Zwingli who is uh, doing Reformation stuff up in uh, Switzerland while Martin and his followers are doing Reformation stuff down in in Germany. And they sit down together to try to unite the the two movements. And And they argued over all kinds of things and they were able to work through all these little things and they got down to one issue. And it was about communion. What happens? What happens to the elements when you celebrate communion? One tradition said that the the elements actually are transformed into the body and blood of Christ. That's called transubstantiation. Martin Luther rejected that. He said, I don't believe that. I think it's more like uh, it, if you take a, if you build a fire and you take a, an iron poker and you set it in that fire, pretty soon the tip of that poker is going to become white hot. And you pull that you pull that iron out and you touch it to a piece of paper and the paper bursts into flames. Now the iron poker is still iron. But it has, uh, it, it has joined with the elements of the fire. And that's what Martin Luther believed happened at communion. That, that the, the, the elements, there is, there is a, a, a physical transformation that occurs without changing the essential nature of the elements themselves. And that was called consubstantiation. Zwingli said, you know what, with all due respect, I I don't think that there's any physical change whatsoever. I think it's a spiritual change, and that's it. There's a spiritual change, and that's why why Paul says, be careful, do not eat and drink uh, communion uh, 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 lightly, because, you know, you're, you're condemning yourself. What does it mean? The spiritual presence of Christ. Now, we're splitting hairs. But Martin Luther, Zwingli stood up and said, Martin, we've come too far. Let's agree to disagree on this one point and join together. And, and Luther all but called him an anathema, stood up and walked away. He said, no, can't do it. Divisions in the church. And then, of course, the, the, that was just the beginning of the Reformations. And the way I like to describe it is uh, if you had a bookcase filled with books, and, uh, uh, and, and somebody went along and said, we don't need this book anymore. And they threw it away and they said, that's our reformation. And others said, no, 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 no. We need to empty the books, burn them. And we're only going to put one book back, the Bible. That's the only book on our shelf. And that was their reformation. And you've got everything in between, people, everything in between. What are the source? What is the source of the fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desire to, to battle within you? 
You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet. You cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. He's talking about the church. And I like to say, and we said it already today, how many churches are there in Coronado? One church. But what does that really mean? Because we know there are many worshiping communities in Coronado. But I want to say that within those many worshiping communities in Coronado, in San Diego, in the world, resides elements of the true church. And what, how do we define the true church? Dissertations have been written on that statement. I'm going to make it real simple for you today. I think the true church is one that focuses on Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about getting people in a relationship with Jesus. It's about getting people uh, doing spiritual disciplines that draw them closer to Jesus. Because you know what? Let the truck go by. Jesus has an agenda for each one of us, and it's different for each one of us. Because I'm dealing with garbage that you're not dealing with. And I have no doubt that you're dealing with some garbage that I'm not dealing with. And rather than define the church by four walls and in in a, in a, in a creed that we put up on, the, uh, up, up on the screen, this is who we are and what we believe, let's look, at, let's look at the church as a huge circle. And Jesus is in the middle. And we're all, depend. doesn't matter what your trajectory is, but you're on a different trajectory than the person right next to you, even if the person right next to you is your spouse. But the tra- trajectory is moving toward Jesus. And it doesn't matter how far, how far apart you are. Here's the cool thing, that as we focus on Jesus, we're going to draw closer and closer together. So who is the, the, the true church? The true church is one that focuses on Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, how do we know? How do we know who this Jesus is? Where do we learn about this Jesus? Aha. Aha. That's the second thing. It's only one place to learn about Jesus. And that's right here. That's right here. And we've talked about external authorities. And right now there's an external authority that's pressing in on us uh, with full force. And that's the wisdom of the world. But there's also the word of God, which is an external authority. And it wants to press in. But God's not going to force his way in. Not, God's not going to force his way in. Oh, the Bible is too hard to understand. We've, we've dismissed that myth. Rather than talk about it, let's just read it and for what it has to say. Let's just read it contextually. Whether you, whether you want to, you know, some people want to read it with very liberally. Uh, some people want to read it as, as literal. Uh, but let's just read it uh, in context for what it's actually trying to say. And let's agree to let the Bible be the arbiter of our faith. To help us to understand who Jesus is. And there's a bonus. There's a bonus. And the bonus is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because the cool thing is that I don't have to convince you that I am right. I just have to get us into a place where we're talking about Jesus and Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be there speaking into our lives. That's the cool part. That's the bonus. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulterous people. 
You know, James is talking about our unfaithfulness to God. When he says, you adulterous people, he's saying, you're being unfaithful to God. You're allowing this wisdom from below to come in and dominate your lives, and you can't do it because there's nothing but destruction at the end of that. Nothing but destruction. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We've got that wisdom that comes from below. And oh, is it pressing in at all times. I handed these, or another card, all kinds of cards. And, and this, this card could actually, it's, it's, it's titled on one side, and I, and, I, and I got this out of a book called Good Faith by Gabe Lyons and uh, uh, David Kinnaman. Uh, God's moral order on one side and the morality of self-fulfillment on the other side. You could easily change this to say wisdom from above or wisdom from below. And it's, I mean, they could have written this right here out of this book. What causes the fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it, so you kill and you covet, and you can't have what you want. That's wisdom from the world, people. That's wisdom from the world. To find yourself, look within. You know what you're going to do if you find yourself by looking within? You're going to look within, and you're going to find out the desires that you have that are, that are fleshly and earthly in nature that the world is telling you, yes, yes, yes. And when we do that, we start to cultivate our desires rather than control our desires. To find yourself, look within. People should not criticize someone else's life choices. It's a free-for-all out there. To be fulfilled in life, you must pursue the things you desire most. People, that is wisdom from below. Wisdom from above says to find yourself, discover the truth outside of yourself in Jesus. Loving others does not always mean staying silent. And joy is not found in pursuing our own desires, but in giving of ourselves to bless others. For the highest goal in life is giving glory to God. That's wisdom from above, people. As opposed to the wisdom of below that says, enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. How well is that working out for us, folks? It's not. And the world's a mess, and it's been a mess forever. I, we were in Israel. Last time we were in Israel, we were up by the, up by the Golden Heights. And uh, you, 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 look up, you look up this the Golden Heights, and, and it's, it's a plane that goes, into, that goes into Syria, and Israel owns those right now. They're not about to give them back because if you stand there, you can throw all kinds of rocks and rockets and things down on, down on Israel. So they're not going to do it. But as you're driving down the road, there is, there's, a, there's a fence on either side, a fence uh, that, that's, that's, that's wired, and about every 20 yards are signs that say, Warning, Unexploded Landmines. The whole side of the road and up the hills toward the Golan Heights is all mined. And on the other side of the road, it's mined. So you just don't venture out there because nobody knows where the mines are. Why do you do that? Because the wisdom of the world is to get all you can, can all you get, sit on that can and poison the rest. If I can't have it, I don't want anybody else to have it. So if I've got to leave, I'm going to leave landmines behind. 
Oh, and there's a rich and glorious tradition of spoiling the land when you leave. Whether you, whether you throw rocks in somebody's well so that they can't use it anymore, or you take salt and you throw it on the ground so that the alkaline will prevent anything from growing, it's that scorched earth, move forward, leave nothing behind. That's wisdom of the world, folks. That's the wisdom of the world. Wisdom above. God believes, God gives people the freedom to believe whatever they want. That's wisdom from above, folks. God gives people the freedom to believe whatever they want, but those beliefs will always have an impact on society. Think about that. Laws are downstream from culture. And culture is downstream from religion. God gives the freedom for people to believe whatever they want, but those beliefs will always affect a society. The wisdom of the world says, no, 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 people can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. But that's nonsense. Because our beliefs are going to affect society. You can't get around that. You can't dance around that. You can't. Well, you can ignore it. But it doesn't change the fact that there are consequences to everything that we say and do. That's the cost the price of being significant and and you are significant we are significant the wisdom of the world the wisdom below says that any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is fine but god's wisdom says no 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 god designed boundaries for sex and sexuality in order for humans to flourish and we see examples of that in Scripture all the time. I, I, I always, go back to, uh, always go back to my friend Jacob, who longed for Leah, or for, for Rachel. And, and after working seven years for Rachel, he wakes up on his wedding night and rolls over and sees Leah. He's not too happy with his father-in-law. And so his father-in-law gives him Rachel. He's got two wives now. And, and I'm sure Jacob went, yay. And, and, but, then, but then they start having, well, then you know, Leah starts having kids, but Rachel doesn't. And so Rachel thinks, okay, well, I'm going to have to do something. And so she draws in her handmaiden and says, go sleep with my husband and you give me kids. And I'm sure that Jacob went, yay. And then, and then Leah does the same thing. And so pretty, pretty soon there are four women in his life. How'd that work out? <laughs> Ask Joseph. His brothers hated him. Why? Because he was daddy's favorite. I mean, the scripture shows us why those things don't work. Wisdom from above or wisdom from below? The first few verses here in chapter 4 tell us what the problem is. Can't be a friend of the world because friends, friendship with the world is, is, becomes an enemy of God. Do you not think... Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live within us envies intensely. And you could take that a couple of different ways. Uh, James, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the Holy Spirit that, that now dwells in us, that, 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 that is a reflection of what we read in, in the commandments, that God is a jealous God and he longs for us? Or is it a reflection of the spirit that dwells within us that is at war with the Holy Spirit that's that internal struggle. In our own spirit, 
that tends to envy what we don't have. We focus on what we don't have rather than on what we do have. And we think that because somebody has more than me, somehow I'm, 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 I'm not measuring up to my full potential. And again, you get that, that bitterness, that envy that does what? It causes fights and quarrels among us. You know, I have a very uh, utilitarian view of automobiles. I've told you that many, many times. As long as it gets me from point A to point B, I don't care. It could be a Ford Pinto. It could be a Mercedes Benz. I don't care. But there are people that get all wrapped around the axle over the fact that I'm driving a Pinto and somebody else is driving a Mercedes Benz. Come on. What is the source of the wisdom that is driving your passions? But God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, humility puts us in a position and in a place where we can receive grace. And that's what God wants. This is the solution, folks. We've talked about the problem. Now we're coming into the solution. I'm watching the time. I still have four minutes. <laughs> Here's the solution. I'll give, you, I'll give it to you in bullet points. And, and this is seven through, seven through ten. And it all is focused on God. Submit, resist. Come near, wash, purify, grieve, mourn, wail, change. That's it. That's the solution. Now listen to it because it's good stuff. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. He poses the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is an enemy out there. Acknowledge that. That's the wisdom that comes from below. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. There are three things that God does. Three things that God does that I want you to walk. If you walk out of here with nothing else today, I want you to walk out of here with these three things. I know, I know that God does three things. He forgives. He forgives. There is nothing that you can do, nothing that you have done. And I know that there's somebody out there thinking, you know what, I hear you, Pastor, but... Man, you just don't know. And I don't, but God does, and he forgives. That's what the cross was all about. God forgives. He also redeems. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. I don't care what you've gone through in your life. God is able to redeem it for his glory and for his purposes. That's it. God forgives, he redeems, and he transforms. Hallelujah. I'm not yet who God created me to be, but by his grace, I'm no longer what I once was. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What are the desires that are driving you? And that's what I talked about last week in in doing the deep dive, because only you can understand what your motive is. And once you understand what that motive is, then come near to God. Say, Lord, this is all wrong. I don't know what to do. I do. Can you listen? Hang out with me for a little while. And we'll get there and we'll do it together. Grieve and mourn and wail. Because, you know, chances are that there's some desires and some passions that you've been cultivating and nourishing and nurturing along that are not healthy. And, and, and when you step away from that, it's gonna, it might be a little painful. 
and, and you might need to grieve and mourn and wail a little bit. But if you humble yourself before God, he will lift you up. Now, you're probably sitting there asking the question, what does all this have to do with the title of the sermon, Birds of a Feather? Because you can only do a deep dive into your own life. But the reality is we're only going to make it if we come together. Birds of a feather flock together. And the church, the church today, as divided as it is, it still exists out there. People that focus on the person of Jesus Christ and the truth of Scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to be the mediator in our lives. And we need to connect with those people. We need to flock together with those people. We need to be the church that God has created us to be and not let the church be defined by institutions. And if we can figure that out, we can bring hope to the world. And that's what the world needs now more than anything is the hope, the hope that we have because of our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is as our faith and our hope, what we believe in the past versus what we believe that's going to come into the future collide in the present moment we love. And of these three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Let's love together intensely, deeply, Christ-centered, and show the world the wisdom that is from above. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. You know, people are always coming up to me asking, asking, Pastor, what do you think about this issue over here? What do you think about this that's going on? What do you think? And I say, those are all important questions. And I think a lot about them. But before we have that conversation... I want to know what you think about Jesus. I want to know where you are in your relationship with Christ. I want to know what you're doing to cultivate cultivate that relationship. And maybe even if you're willing to share with me the growing edges that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you about what you need to do in your life to draw closer to Christ. And I find two things happen. People throw up their hands and walk away. Or we sit down and have a really great conversation and we both grow closer to Christ. Soul exercises, time in the word, time in prayer. Doing that deep dive to wrestle with what your motives are, but know that you can't do it alone. You need to have somebody else in your life. You need to flock together as birds of a feather. But make sure that what is drawing us together is the person of Jesus Christ, the authority of Scripture, and trust me, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Let's be gracious to others, but let's hold firm to our faith in Christ. We gather to worship, we go forth to serve, and as we do, we bless each other with the blessing of Aaron. Let's do it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen.